1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Fairstyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Hope everyone's having a great hump day. I'm your host Ryan Abraham. We're joined by Keely. You're here in a minute. You can follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name, and we're here, of course, to talk about USC Trojan football. Looks like the staff has been filled out, so we'll talk about the last two hirings by head coach Clay Helton to for the strength and conditioning coach and the offensive line coach. And if you have any questions or comments. For us on the show, you can always email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424-254-9141. That's the number. Leave us a text. Send us a voicemail. We try to keep it brief if you can, but we love to play them on the air. We got a voicemail voicemail for you uh, today, a bunch of emails we want to get to. And as always, we'd love if you're on an Apple podcasting app anywhere, go on, leave us a five-star rating. Subscribe to the Parastyle Podcast. Any kind of comments, feedback, suggestions you have, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, we'll bump you up uh, to the top of the list. But let's welcome in Keila Yor, and she's been monitoring the uh, reviews closely, so we'll see if we have any new ones. Keila, how <laughs> are you doing today?
2: Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. We actually do have a new review. It's a five-star review from Thomas in Texas. says uh, the subject line is must listen for Trojan fans and he says Keely and Ryan are a strong duo who feed off of each other well it's refreshing to hear frank and open insight balanced with informed and measured takes all the Trojan out out of all the Trojan podcasts this is perhaps the most consistent and the occasional guests bring remarkable value well done so thank you Thomas
1: yeah it's very nice um I don't know about I mean kind of give us the same amount of credit I think I should get more credit than you but I don't (laughs) know
2: I, I could hear I could hear you struggling with that, Ryan. You can't, um, you can't yeah. deal with that. <laughs> but we're a strong duo, Ryan. How about that?
1: We are pretty strong. I, you know, it's funny because when I started the podcast in 2008, I didn't know anything about podcasting. Um, it really was just because radio stations across the country from, like, college football markets would call me to talk about USC football, and I couldn't get on, like, ESPN Radio in L.A. because they were talking about the Lakers all the time. So... Um, I'd get on every once in a while, but I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll do my own show. And I really didn't do anything, know much about it. And it's it's kind of grown a lot since then. But you, you learn, he mentioned consistency in the review. That's a big deal. Like people want to make sure, Hey, so we're trying to do this consistently. Like, well, have Harvey Hyde on every Monday, you and me have, have kind of developed this thing on, uh, we were doing Tuesdays for a while doing Wednesdays now and, you know, having that chemistry where you work with somebody. You don't always have the same views. You just have to be able to bounce things off each other, like the podcast of champions. Me and David probably couldn't be any different people. One guy covers USC, UCLA, <laughs> different everything else, but the chemistry works, you know. So I think we want to be very informative. We want to be entertaining and stuff too. And uh, I'm I'm happy though because it does. The the Ryan and Keeley show or the Keeley and Ryan show seemed to work pretty well.
2: Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, no one can p- replace Dan's shoes, but I think you and I have a little snark thing going, right? So I'm glad it, it works, I guess. <laughs> it's no snark. And it's
1: different. I mean, every person you have on has a different personality and the, the show will kind of, you You can't be, I don't think you can do a show and try to be somebody else, someone that you're not. Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah. So it's got to work. Sometimes you have like great information people and they're boring and you just don't want to hear them. You know, it's like it's, You have awesome information, but I can't listen to you because it's just too boring. Um, so we try to have a mix of both, but I'm glad, I'm glad (laughs) that we were there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, well, we got a bunch to get to. I want to thank our sponsor right off, uh, Trader Joe's. Um, I like make my week. I'm trying to, I'm doing more walking now. So I'm walking to the the local Trader Joe's. So you got to carry the bags and stuff. I still got the cool USC Trader Joe's bags. Um, people always comment on those when I, when I bring them over there. Uh, but. Trying to do a little more cooking at home, Keely. So I pick up some veggies. I, got, I mentioned this before, but it's been a while. The rosemary balsamic uh, steak tips, man, they're mm. pre-marinated. Um, you can like put them in a pan. You can grill them. Um, it, They are so good. They're so tender. And it's a great meat dish for whatever you want to do. I made some burritos out of them. Uh, I just finished off. I made some the other day. Finished off the leftovers in a salad I made. So I kind of made like a little steak salad thing. but. They are great, and they're really simple. Um, you know, They come in this little package that's, like I said, pre-marinated. You don't have to do any seasoning or anything. Just cook them up however you want, and then uh, eat them how you like. Um, maybe some veggies. Uh, on the website, they show like over a uh, bed of mashed potatoes and a big thing of broccoli. Like I said, I made some burritos and stuff out of them. Um, yeah, but they're, they're really good. I don't know if you've had them yet, but they're they legit, Keely.
2: I have not, but they sound very good. That might be on my list. I might have to add it, Ryan. <laughs>
1: It's, you know, it's you go in there sometimes, and you're just like you see some like so you go to somebody's house or whatever. Well, back when we could, um, and you'd be like they'd have like some appetizer out, and like oh, it's from Trader Joe's. I'm like, I've never seen that. I'm like, you have to kind of go around looking for stuff. But um, once I found those, I'm like, yeah, these are good. Like my friend grilled them one time a few years ago, and they're like, oh yeah, they come from Trader Joe's. These steak tips. I'm like, I'm getting those, and uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Like getting. Um, Something that you can like cook up fairly quickly, but it still tastes really good. I mean, that's that's what the Trader Joe's is kind of famous for.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Very yeah. nice, Ryan. Always yeah. enjoy what you come up with for your Trader Joe's uh, uh, inspiration.
1: Yeah, I try. And it's good. I just have so many good experiences uh, going there. All right. So uh, we do have to do some uh, breaking news, Keely. Now, if you saw the Harvey Hyde podcast. You know, we talked about USC hiring a strength and conditioning coach, but since then, uh, you know, that was Robert Steiner. So he comes over, he was assistant at Notre Dame. Uh, we could probably give a couple thoughts on that, but we, we talk about that more on the Harvey Hyde show. But for this one, Keeley, uh, the offensive line coach, and, you know, the, as far as Bruce Feldman is concerned, and I think uh, a couple other reporters confirmed it too, we weren't able to get complete confirmation. It doesn't sound like it's maybe signed, sealed and delivered done, done, done deal, but it's pretty yeah. much a done deal. Um, Clay McGuire, uh, is coming over. He was at Texas state, but you know, longtime air raid disciple, uh, worked with, uh, Graham Harrell, a number of occasions te- on uh, occasions, 10 years, I believe with Mike Leach. Um, he was at Washington state, uh, up there as well. And well, I think when Graham Harrell was just breaking into coaching. He was up there mm. and was at Texas tech when Graham Harrell was playing, uh, but Clay McGuire, um, offensive line coach, uh, hired looks like going to be by USC. So get your initial thoughts on the hire, Keely.
2: Yeah, the sense that I got, it, like you said, Ryan, is that it's not a done deal. I don't think he's signed yet. That's the last I heard, but he's expected to be USC's next offensive line coach. You know, the thing that I kept getting when I was trying to figure out, okay, why did USC move on from Tim Drevno? The word that kept coming up was fit, both chemistry-wise with the staff and scheme-wise. You know, we've talked about how he wasn't really an air raid guy, and the fact that they went with McGuire just signals that they really wanted to sell out for the air raid and to sell out with someone who would be comfortable with Graham Harrell and his staff and his scheme. So, I mean, on the surface, it's kind of a, a lagluster hire, I would say, a little bit. It's kind of like, okay, who's that? You know, you want to do a little bit more research, but I think this is just, This signals that USC really wants to commit to this scheme that they have. And now I know USC fans are frustrated by the air raid, frustrated frustrated by Graham Harrell. And that's understandable to a certain extent. But um, this is kind of what USC didn't get here by accident. You know, you you sell out to the air raid. You don't have the offensive line coach that you want or you need for the past couple of years with Neil Callaway and then. You know, they tried to sell it as, oh, Tim no wasn't, it's not a problem that he doesn't know the air raid. And then now, you know, kind of in revisionist history, it's a little bit like, oh, it was a problem. He didn't know the air raid. So, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how a fit plays into this. That's something that it sounded like from the USC side of things that they were really excited about uh, as far as this new hire. So we'll see how it works out. I mean, he is definitely an air raid guy. There's not a lot of uh, air raid offensive line coaches to really choose from. So, um, as far as guys you could choose from, this seems from a USC perspective, like a guy you'd want. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant on this one, but it really just shows that they're trying to uh, get the right guy for Graham Harrell and, and what he wants to do.
1: Yeah, I think your point about fit is uh, legit. And this was something that we brought up a couple of years ago. Because if you remember, Tim Drevno was the running back's coach. Uh, they fire... Um, Neil Calloway, and then they promote him to, you know, be the offensive line coach. And they had to, they get Clint, Kiff, Clint, Clint, Kiff, Cliff Kingsbury, <laughs> at least briefly for about a month. And they're going to switch to this kind of air raid sort of thing. And you're like, well, are you going to keep Tim Dref? No, probably not. He's never really coached in the spread, let alone like an air raid kind of thing. It's, you know, he's been more pro style, uh, West Coast offense kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, you want to have that right offensive line coach as a fit. You're not saying we think Tim Driveno is bad. It's just he's an apple. We're looking for oranges. Like that's essentially what yeah. was going on. But yeah, then Kingsbury leaves. They bring in Graham Harrell. Now he's young, uh, but he's sort of like a, a light version of, of Cliff Kingsbury. If it was Cliff Kingsbury, my assumption at the time was Drebno would have been gone and he would have brought in a real, a real, um, a, real uh, an off- a real fit for the offensive line coach for what he wants to do. Graham Harrell being more of a younger guy, didn't really get any of his own assistance in that first year. He got Mike Jenks, who was more of a, you know, a Kingsbury guy. Um, and at least he was an air raid guy, but the rest wasn't really the right fit. He didn't even have two often, I mean, uh, receivers coaches. Um, he just had a, you know, C- Kerry Colbert and it was a yeah. you know a rookie receivers coach. If he was a more experienced uh, offensive coordinator. I think he would have demanded a, a staff that kind of fits what he needs. Um, and he didn't. And now two years. So this is a, I, I think this is a failure on Clay Hilton from two years ago that you're finally fixing. And that's, I think it's a legit concern when you're talking about when fans are being critical of Clay Hilton, it's like when you're fixing a problem that we all kind of saw was going to be a problem two years ago, you could say the same, you know, potentially same thing with strength and condition coach, but it just didn't fit. Like as much as you might like Tim Drevno for whatever reason, he hasn't recruited all that well. And he just wasn't as if he's the best offensive line coach in the world, it just wasn't a great fit for the offense that USC was running. So it's sort of of those things like, well, we talked about this two years ago and we said this was a concern. And everyone said, like you mentioned, Oh, it's not a concern. Well, apparently it is. And now you're going on. And I thought all along, Keely, they were going to get an air raid disciple. And that's what Clay McGuire is. It's unfortunate. He's, you know, I, th- I think the resume is pretty good there, but the fact that he was yeah. at Texas State this past year is what a lot of fans are upset about.
2: I think that just seems like, you know, he was at Texas Tech before Kingsbury moved on, and I think he just wanted to stay in Texas. So I don't know how much you can really read into where he was right now. Um, but yeah, he has experience, and he has a lot, of, a lot of experience with the air raid. But as far as what you're saying, as, as far as the Tim Drevno thing, it just felt like, you know, at the start with the Notre Dame quote unquote rebuild that that USC wanted to do, it's always been piecemeal. It's been slow. And if you're a USC and you want to be a blue blood and and live up to that status, why are you doing it so slowly? Why are you not equipping your team with the right resources? It just, you know, it's a holdover from the Lynn Swan days where things just didn't move at the pace that it should have, you know? And so that's why I made that comment was because we all, like you said, knew that, Hey, you need a guy who can run your, Offense, because I had a source tell me, with Tim Drevno, we were basically running a different offense on the offensive line and then a different offense everywhere else. You know, like you don't want that for your offense. You want to be cohesive. So to hear, you know, the guy that you once had as your running backs coach now used to be offensive line coach, didn't really understand—not understand, but didn't really gel with what the rest of your offensive staff was doing. Why did it take so long to get that figured out? You know, those are the questions that you have to ask. And so I think. Uh, this is the new athletic administration trying to right the wrongs. But overall, like I said, USC didn't get here in this, this predicament by accident. This is uh, multiple years of, of poor decisions, getting USC to where they really have to sell out to the air raid because, you know, you have to do a little bit more with less with the air raid, you know? So, uh, excuse me, you, you have to do, you can do less with more with the air raid. And so, you know, it's, I understand why USC fans would be uh, frustrated, but this is kind of USC doing the best with where they are right now, you know?
1: No, I, yeah, I agree with you. I would feel like it's one of those things. Am I like some super guru football expert? You know, we've been doing this a long time, but, you know, I've not been in those meetings or have not done those kind of things, but just on the surface, you can look at a, a you can look at how things are being constructed and see potential problems. Like, you know, you're not, you might not be an auto mechanic expert or something, but you see a car going by and like the wheel is wobbling. You're like, that seems like that'd be a problem. You know, like there's some obvious things. And then you wonder yeah. how did that come out of the pit? If they didn't see that problem, Um, you know, we saw the problem with why is, why aren't they getting an offensive line coach? That's familiar with the air raid. And we got told things like that doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. And you know, not being like, I'm like, okay, well, I guess it really, maybe it doesn't matter. It seems like it would like, People have, other people I've talked to seem like think it's a problem, but USC doesn't think that. So they're kind of sticking by their decision. But it turns out, like, yeah, and this is what's happened so often, Keeley, is you have point out the, like, why I mean, just stupid stuff. Like, why are you hiring Lin Swan as the athletic director? That seems like a terrible idea. Guess what? It was a terrible idea. Like, <laughs> we've pointed out these things, and then sometimes you're like, oh, you're being negative. you got to give it a chance. I'm like, well, we've seen them make mistakes, and we see things that aren't going to work. This is just one of those things, Keely, that we thought, that's not going to work.
2: Yeah, it just goes into the credibility issue we've talked about with just kind of the people (laughs) around USC. Um, You know, we're told one thing, and when we ask about it, and then when they end up changing that and admitting that there was an issue, it was like, well, wait a minute, we've been saying that. I mean, like, even with taking back the West, we talked a lot prior to that mantra Hey, USC is losing ground not only in the West coast but in their own conference and so and we kind of got some pushback on that and then USC comes out with this mantra of taking back the West and I think we were kind of like, well that kind of admits that the West was taken right and so it's kind of this credibility issue where if the I if the mistakes are identified there's kind of a resistance and then suddenly they're like yeah 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 but we're fixing it It's like wait what a minute how did we get from point A to point B there you know so, you know, it's just kind of part of the health and era where instead of coming out even in press conferences where everyone would like him to say after a loss or something, "Hey, this is horrible. This is not acceptable." Uh, acceptable. We're going to fix X, Y, and Z. It's kind of put a rosy spin on things. And I know fans get really frustrated by that, and it's understandable, but that's kind of just the Clay health and era, and I think it just spreads uh, throughout the program in that sense.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's very it's very interesting. <laughs> that's too um, negative, Ryan. <laughs> No, not at all. I'm just, it's, we, we have actually a voicemail. We'll kind of get into some of the, the fixes or something later, but um, yeah, it's, it's just different. There's, I think we, ha- there was so much bad leadership that there was plenty of problems to go around throughout not just the, the athletic department, but the school. And you can only fix so many at a time. USC fans want one pr- big problem fixed and that one's not being fixed. So yeah, All these other problems are sort of like, eh. but that was one. I mean, those are, to me, it's self-inflicted wounds. That was whoever your head coach is. You might not think it's, you don't like Craig Clayton, whatever it is. You don't think he's great, but you bring in a, what looked like could be a really good hire on the, for the offensive coordinator, but then you sort of handcuff yourself? Now you, you got all the cooks out of the kitchen. You have one guy taking over things, just doing that alone. I think fixed a lot of the problems. There was all these people kind of meddling with the offense and no one really owned it you had ownership and stuff, but then you're kind of like tying one hand behind his back by not giving him an offensive line coach that runs his offense, you know? So yeah. you're like the greatest, um, you know, uh, sushi chef in the world. And you're in one of those iron chef competitions or whatever. And then he give you like, uh, like a French chef as a sous chef. And you're like, okay, that doesn't really like, that's an awesome sushi chef you have there and you're an awesome sushi chef, but that's not the same thing, you know, like he's not going to be able to do the same kind of stuff you want to do. So um, I feel like that's what they're doing. So, but that's self-inflicted. It didn't have to be that way. Like just at the top level, you go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring in the air raid and we're going to hire assistant coaches that have run the air raid. Like it's that simple. And for some reason, USC just, avoids doing that. And now you're seeing like, that's why I fully felt Keeley. This was going to be an air raid guy. Um, I know there were some rumblings like, well, it's going to be this. I'm like, "Eh, it's got to be an air raid person. Otherwise they're not, I don't think they're going to bother.
2: Yeah. I mean, why would you get rid of Drevno if your main complaint was that he didn't really run the offense or that Graham Harrell does and not get an air raid guy. You know what I mean? It just seems like you're going to give Graham Harrell what he probably needed from day one at this point and really sell out for that. So, I mean, it, you, we can ask a million questions as to why Lynn Swan and, and those around him did what they did. <laughs> I don't think we'll have great answers, but I mean, why bring in guys and not support him? Why give Clay Helton an extension, period? Why give Helton an, an extension and then not support him if you're gonna do that? I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I don't know if we really can ever have satisfactory answers for. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but for so the higher um if you're looking on social media, if you look on our message boards on the pair style on uscfootball.com, make sure you go over there and check those message boards out, but there's some people that are you know like hey, this looks good. Like he's um was able to develop a lot of kind of three-star, two and three-star offensive linemen into guys that are playing in the NFL or all-conference or all-Americans and I, you know, the way USC's recruited the offensive line position and there's not, like, an heir apparent five-star left tackle on the roster right now, you're going to have to take some of those guys that that need more developing. And it looks like Clay McGuire is yeah, yeah. someone that's done a good job uh, of that. Um, you know, we've heard some good things about, you know, recruiting, but you have hear there's going to be the, the, the fans that are just like, oh, it's a Texas State guy and blah, blah, blah. It's a, And any fans that are over the air raid, which – they might've been okay with it in year one. And once it wasn't working as well in year two, they completely flipped on. I mean, not they flipped, but they got louder about their displeasure of what the offense is. Um, But I don't know. I've I've heard some, you know, really good things. I, my guess is this clay McGuire, wasn't the first choice uh, from what, you know, I've, I've been uh, gathering. There were some other names out there that uh, didn't really pan out, but he fits a lot of the, you know, criteria i guess you could say for what you want uh as far as bringing in and and certainly having some familiar you know being familiar with uh graham harrell uh is a big help too
2: yeah i mean from what i heard during the the interview process it was a process where graham harrell and this whole offensive staff was involved with kind of figuring out if the offensive line coach would be a good fit so i ryan i think your sources and my sources kind of uh, butt heads a little bit on, on what happened. I I heard that they got who they wanted and they ranked their candidates and and that's what happened. But uh, it seems like it was really Graham Harrell leading the way as far as getting an air raid guy and this was the guy that that kind of fit the culture and fit scheme wise. And so you know it's it's one of those things where like I said, the air raid you do uh, you try and do more with less. And I think if McGuire is going to have to come in and, and really develop guys quickly and figure out how to play to guys' strengths. Because like we've mentioned so many times, USC's failed in recruiting top offensive linemen. So you're going to have some work to do and you're going to have to do it kind of fast, especially because you don't really have an AVT stepping into that left tackle position. So, I mean, it, it. I feel like on paper this could fit, this could work. But I know USC fans want maybe more of a splash or something like that. But I think for what USC was going for, this makes sense.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I think it's going to work out pretty well. Um, they do need to develop uh, some of these guys. He seems, you know, he knows the system. He's, you know, been a good evaluator of talent. And find guys that are more like fitting a mold. And it's, I think the guys he's recruited... Um, these are probably a little higher ranked than some of the guys who's recruited, but they're similar where, you know, the, the body types and things like that. Um, and just having a scheme where, you know, what the quarterbacks and the receivers want to do is, is gelling with what the offensive line is doing. And even though, you know, you might not see like the Washington state offense or Texas tech offenses, you know, running the ball for, you know, 220 yards, a clip or a, a game or whatever. I feel like just having, which I'm assuming going to be like wider splits, things that look, the offensive line is going to look more like an air raid offensive line, and I think it's going to open up some holes for the running backs um, where I think, so I think you're going to run the ball better just schematically, and you're hoping that the, he's going to be able to develop these guys to block and have the techniques that you would use in this kind of spread system. Uh, not really blocking for you know you're, you're blocking like there's a fullback back there and there's no fullback you know uh, I feel like they're yeah. you're gonna get better just because of the the bottom line of hey we have an air raid guy now like I think you're just better that way but stuff I've read about uh Clay McGuire I'm I, you know I think I'm pretty optimistic about uh you know what he can do and, and how he can help the team
2: yeah no I completely agree the question for me is how much will he gel with this uh with his players with this position group because a lot of guys are very comfortable with with Drevno and and liked him so can you come in and and really gel with those guys that will be something that I will definitely watch for because I think Gerard Martinez had a, a interview out today with uh Mason Murphy <laughs> and Mason Murphy kind of it was the quotes were a little a little rough he said he was like I don't even know who that is but hopefully he'll be a good coach so I think that's the biggest hurdle. First off, is just getting in and, and gelling with guys who who don't really uh, don't really have a, a understanding of, of where he's coming from, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I agree there. So we'll see, um, but looks like the staff has been rounded out uh, now. So that was know. sort of like the big step, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That was the, the last one we were waiting on offensive line and happened a little quicker than I thought it was going to. So, but I mean, it's still not official yet. USC has not announced it. So technically this is not official news yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, USC hasn't announced it, but uh, we you expect this to be um, the case and then we'll see how it all kind of works out. But having, you know, you hope that they're going to get some spring practices in and, um, you know, have the opportunity to kind of compete And see who's going to be, you know, that all-important left tackle spot for USC. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and do questions, Keely.
3: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
1: All right, Keely, Before we jump into these questions, we have a so there will be a couple of clips we're gonna play from Twenty Four Seven Sports College Football Daily Show. There's a recruiting one, so if you guys like some of the recruiting information, we got Blair Angulo and and uh, Greg Biggins talking about uh, Rayon Davis and some USC targets or whatever that we'll play at the end of the show. So we'll take another break and then we'll uh, we'll play that one. It's like seven minutes long or so. But this was a clip kind of talking about. You know, all the championship talk, Keely, there is out there about, you know, Clay won wanting to win championships um, and, you know, guys leaving early. And was it, you know, was it uh, did USC lose out on the number of guys that left early or did they, did they do OK? So let me play the clip for you from College Football Daily 24-7 Sports Show, and then we'll get some thoughts on it.
4: We want you we, we keep picking USC to win the Pac-12 and maybe to make the playoff, or at least I do, or maybe nationally, we we like the idea of it but to do that you have to get lucky you have to have a few guys who are going to return we we already talked about this Alabama does it Ohio State does it Clemson does it Georgia's starting to do it USC isn't Chris they lose they lose six guys um Amon Ross St. Brown you know Elijah Vera Tucker star offensive tackle I'm not surprised that Talanoa Hufanga their superstar safety is going pro but Maybe they would have liked to get back Elijah Griffin. So to me, it's not like this concerning trend. It's it's great to send your guys off to the NFL, but it, it would have been really, really great if you're a USC fan to get one or two of those guys back.
5: Well, you mentioned you've got to get lucky. And I think it goes back to the cultural aspect of the thing we talked about earlier with Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. It's not really a matter of luck. I think for these players, you're in a position where your goal is to get your money. Every top recruit goes into college at a place like USC, hoping to go three and out and get their money. But for some of these like borderline second to kind of fifth round guys, and USC has a lot of them. I don't really know if there's a first round pick among that group, except for maybe Elijah Bear Tucker. So if you can get one, of, one to three of those guys to come back for their senior seasons or their fifth seasons and compete for a championship, like you have a really big selling point there. Finish unfinished business. But for USC, which I realized just played for a Pac-12 championship in a shortened season, that aspiration of the playoff just hasn't been there recently. Like USC hasn't really been particularly close outside of that one year with Sam Darnold. And they got smacked by Alabama to open that season. So they weren't even all the way there either. So I think USC is just really missing that aspect for these players to come back of competing for championships. And that's up to Clay Helton and his staff to kind of change that culture and to put USC in that position. We're in a Mon raw St. Brown who might be a second round pick is like, if I come back for one year, I can raise my stock play on a national level and maybe be a first round pick while competing for a championship. And I think that's what's missing for USC.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, good. They're good stuff. Uh, discussion there, Keely, but I would say, I don't think it's a concerning trend. That's just sort of USC's DNA. Like USC gets four and five star guys all the time, but guys leave early all the time too. Um, but that's just sort of what makes up USC. There's going to be less of the fifth year senior that's been, you know, worked his way up and there's going to be some of that, but it's more about, Oh, Juju Smith Schuster and uh, Adoree Jackson and those guys all come into class. And then they leave three years later together. Um, That's kind of what makes USC uh, USC. What's missing is winning. You know, you got to win at the level that you're recruiting to. And, they recruit at the level of an Alabama and an Ohio State a lot of the times, or they used to, but they're not winning at that level. But you're still getting those same kind of players that think they're going to go pro, and a lot of them do, and they're great. You know, that's fine. Um, some go, and, and they're they're not quite there, but they just haven't developed them as much. They haven't put enough pieces around them to win at that higher level, and they just haven't had the great leadership to, to do that. But um, I don't see... The trend of you you know players leaving early for the NFL changing that much at USC just because that to me that's part of the DNA of being a Trojan football player.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that, Ryan. Especially in the context of this season where they actually convinced Elijah Barrett Tucker to come back and play for another year, and he uh, dramatically improved his stock. Like like they said, he might be the only first rounder for USC. So I I, I think it's what you're saying, Ryan is it's more of a winning problem because if, if players think that they can come back and win, then maybe they come back. But at this point, what is what else does Alman Ross and Brown have to prove at this level? You know, I think he's proved himself enough that he doesn't have to come back and show anything else. It's, it's up to him to go to the next level. So I, I don't really agree with it. I think it's just more of a, a culture problem in the sense of you need to win. And in order to win, you need good players. But are you recruiting good players at this level? And USC had a dip. And so now that's why you're seeing some of the issues we're seeing on the offensive line and whatnot. But you know, I, I don't know. I kind of just don't agree with that clip. Is that bad, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, no, not bad at all. Uh, I just want to play it to get some
2: uh,
1: <laughs> discussion going. Uh, but that, I mean, it's good to get a different, you know, outsider national sort of point of view. Those are guys that are like, yeah, I'm going to pick USC to win the PAC 12. Yeah. I'm, oh, they could be a, a playoff team. And like I said, you haven't sniffed it, you know, but there's a lot of people yeah. that are willing to believe, well, if you recruit, recruit that well, you're eventually going to win. Right. And that's not, <laughs> that hasn't been happening. And then the recruiting fell <laughs> off.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, no, they, yeah. I... Um, we, you know, we mentioned this earlier about sort of the messes that need to be uh, cleaned up. I think I'm going to play this one from our buddy, Jason in Longhorn country. And we'll kind of talk about some cleaning up messes before we get any other questions. But here you go.
6: Hi, guys. This question's for Keely and Ryan. And, anyways, I just was calling because I just listened to you guys. When you guys say basically that your gut feel is that the new administration doesn't really view themselves as <clears throat> refixing the problem because it's problems they inherited in terms of the assistant coaching staff. And it wasn't a former administration that wasn't really giving support to the head coach to you know, maybe funds or, or hire whoever he wanted or whatever it may be in the prior administration. Um, and I just – that what – what is potentially concerning to me about that is, I mean, we still have coaches on staff that now they're going to view as inherited problems, that they're not refixing, that they're just potentially fixing. So let's say the offense bombs next year. I mean, does that mean that because they inherited Graham Harrell and Mike Jinks and, and – uh, that were potentially in Kerry Colbert, that we're going to potentially see another round of original fixes in their minds, which are refixes in you guys and my mind. Uh, it, it just seems like, you know, that's, that's three more coaches that, you know, we can kind of, that, that, that can kind of be thrown under the bus and kind of, like you said, avoid essentially just rearrange the deck chairs of the Titanic and avoid making the change that we all know is probably an eventuality at this point. It's just a matter of when, not if. So anyways, um, anyways, uh, that, that was, that's a little concerning if, if that's the vibe you're getting from Heritage Hall to an extent. So fight uh, on, Jason Longhorn-Country.
1: Thanks, Jason. Um, you know, I get your thoughts on this, Keeley. I do feel like the administration comes in and it's sort of like resets the clock. Like, okay, well, we didn't hire that guy. So until we fix it, it's really not our problem as much. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's fair or not, but it seems like they're going to stand behind changes that they've made. Um, and until it's a change, you know, until something that's, they've fixed it, it's sort of like, that's not under our warranty, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I understand where if you come into a situation and then you get blamed for everything your predecessors did, your predecessors did I would be frustrated, too, because that would be like, hey, look, I didn't hire these people. Um, but the thing is, I, I don't get the sense from this new administration that they have to exhaust every possible uh, option and assistant coach turnover to understand when something needs to be changed. You know, we've talked about how their hands are tied at a higher level with the Clay Helton decision. And so I think they're trying to do uh, what, what what they can. And I think that's where that that comes in the whole, th- these weren't our hires. So what can we do here? That comes in there where, you know, it's not, I think that's why they view it differently where I think other administrations had the opportunity to fire Clay Helton and, and they didn't. And then they, they did that like rebuild type of thing. I think this is uh, more, our hands are tied and we're going to try our best with what we can do type of situation. Does that make sense, Ryan?
1: Yeah, no, I think it does. And I feel like yeah, there's going to be some pushback on, well, that wasn't our thing. Um, you know, I brought up like, dude, this is two years ago. These were problems that Clay Hilton fixed or tried to fix two years ago. But, you know, if you talk to people at Heritage Hall, it's more about, well, they didn't, he Clay didn't have the resources. He didn't have, uh, he wasn't, you know, didn't have the budget to come in and bring anybody that was really good. So you kind of promote from within or whatever, or you bring a guy that strength coach that hadn't worked in college for five years. Um, All that stuff. It seemed to be, I guess, somewhat excuses of why those problems, it was going to be harder to fix those problems. Now that there's support around Clay Helton, you feel better about fixing the problems, but who's making the hires Is it Mike bone making these hires. Is it uh, Graham Harrell? It seems like those guys are definitely involved more than the head coach which probably wasn't the case um, before, you know, and now there's more support around Clay Helton. But to me, it's still the USC football program. These are still two problems that you tried to fix two years ago. We questioned the fixes at the time, and now you have to go back on them. Uh, Just two years later, it's just not that, you know, it's not that long ago that you had to, already fixed these. Why do you have confidence now? Well, it's a new administration. They're going to do a different hire. I believe that they're hiring better now than they were uh, when Lynn Swan or Pat Hayden or whatever is the athletic director. There's a lot more support. There's just smarter people in the room figuring out and knowing what to do with hires. They're doing a better job, but for the fans, it's understandable that they look at it as just, it, it doesn't matter until you fix the big problem. And I would say it looks like Heritage Hall. what every time they they plug a leak, they're making it a better place for. If you do get an opportunity to fix the big problem, if you do get an opportunity to hire a head coach, um, there'll be a better staff around him. There'll be a better support around him, and I think they do believe that. But in the meantime, they're just trying to fix whatever they can, and. It's just not the thing that the fans would fix the most, Keeley, which is obviously Clay Helton.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's a perfect uh, way of, of kind of breaking it down because that's kind of the difference. Like fans see this as what fans do. They've been here from day one. They've seen every move. They've seen every change. And so it's a whole picture for USC fans. Whereas I think with this new USC administration, they are going, hey, that was before this is now and we're the now and look at what we've done. And we believe in the hires we've made and the processes we have. So I think that's why I think there's more optimism, obviously coming from their side of things rather than USC fans who are like, Hey, we've been in this rodeo (laughs) many times. And now you're telling us to like hope in this process. And I understand why they're jaded in that sense. So I think it's hard for USC fans to kind of separate that. But I think what Heritage Hall um, is hoping that USC fans think is, is, you know, the same people who yeah, we have a question about Luke Fickle, the same people who hired Luke Fickle are there at USC. So there might there might be something good with what they're doing. That's kind of their point of view on things. So I, I understand where USC fans are coming for uh, coming from, for sure. It's hard after the, the athletic directors we've seen to go, hey, no, trust in trust in these new people, you know, but it's kind of where they're at right now. USC fans.
1: It is. And the, the problem for the administration and we talked about uh the the Clay Maguire hire as you know i think there's uh, you know some upside there it looks like it could be a good one it looks different to me than a lot of the other hires that were only like well they're familiar with them so we're hiring them but the problem is this if you're just looking at it from a higher point of view or whatever you're you could see how this sort of looks like an older hire where like oh he worked with yeah. him before it's from texas state you're usc like visually, uh, like the optics. There's some problems with the optics, right? There is some issues with the optics. Even though, if you dig down, there's actually more substance than a lot of the other hires USC did, where the optics weren't good either.
2: Yeah, and this this new athletic administration. They require faith I believe and, and USC fans are not in a place Where they want to put any faith in anyone If it's not the words Clay Helton Is fired you know so it's it's Kind of unfortunate in the sense where I do think This administration is trying Where we couldn't really say that Before and so it's just At a point where USC fans are so Over it unless it's a major Change that uh, is not happening At least for the, the time being
1: Yeah alright so. well what else uh, What else we got Keely
2: we have a text from Ian from the SCV who says, Finally, the Urban Meyer hopes and rumors can be put to rest. Congrats to Jacksonville for the get. With that said, how much of a really good hire do you think it would be for Mike Bone to hire away Luke Fickle from Cincinnati? He's done an outstanding job turning around that program and had his players play a heck of a game against a top five team in UGA. It's only a matter of time before a Power 5 program comes and gets him. Love your podcast, Ian from the SCV.
1: Hey, Ian. Uh, thanks for that. Um, obviously, with uh, Robert Steiner, I've spent a year uh, with Luke Fickle, uh, USC's new strength and conditioning coach. So there's a connection there. Um, certainly, I feel like the Mike Bone, Brandon Sauce, now, if you're going to look at their hires at Cincinnati, that's a great one, right? I mean, he's doing yep. an amazing job there. And I think part of what their research would be is, you know, they put a lot of you know, thought into what they wanted to do, bringing that guy in. And it's been super successful. So I feel like what they felt about Luke Fickle was correct. And now it's going to be about, well, do they feel the same way that he could do something similar uh, in LA at USC? The guy, you know, Luke Fickle's a Ohio guy. Um, It's one thing to win at a, uh, you know, group of five school, as opposed to a Power Five school, as opposed to a blue blood school, so I think I think he would be a good candidate if USC has a an opening there. But I could also see where if they feel like we feel he's an amazing you know this level coach, but we're not sure that would translate to a blue blood program, then they might not bring him in. You know, um, that, probably low chance of something like that happening. But I feel like that's the process that they would go through is they might feel someone that's an awesome would do great at Cincinnati or do great at like, uh, you know, Iowa state or even like Iowa or something, but maybe not at USC or Alabama or Ohio state. Um, so yeah, but I, I, I feel like they would be behind that with the connections they have all there, but he might not be a guy that really wants to leave, uh, that area. If if he's an Ohio guy and doesn't want to come to LA, that could be another thing. So I feel like what Keely said, where they put a lot of thought into this, it's not, it's an obvious choice, obviously, because they already hired him, but they might also realize, Hey man, we, we think he's awesome there. He's going to be great, but I don't think it would work at USC. I could see them thinking that as well.
2: Yeah. First off, from what I've heard about Luke fickle, he's very much an Ohio guy. And I don't feel like that would be just an easy sell to get him to the West Coast. But like you said, Ryan, because uh, that staff had a process in place to eventually hire Luke Fickle, they're going to use something like that process again. And that might not automatically include Luke Fickle because of different factors at USC and whatnot. So because they have a strategy, a clear strategy, it might not be the obvious move that I think fans might think of. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think that, because they have a strategy with the variables that USC has, it's going to have the candidates uh, that they feel appropriate for USC in particular, and not necessarily, and that might not match up with what they were looking at for Cincinnati. So I don't know. I can't say if it's a surefire thing, especially because from all accounts, it just sounds like fickle is very much a Midwesterner guy.
1: Yes. And that's all we're saying that if they have an opening, Would not be shocked if Luke Fickle end up coming to LA and be, you know, the head coach of USC, but you have to be ready. Like if there's an opening and he's still there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a fit because it's a very, it's a way different job. It's a different location. All that stuff would have to work. It could, we don't know all the details behind it, but you have to, you know, don't just assume that's going to happen because literally that'd be the old way USC would do things. Yeah. It's the obvious choice. Now in this case, the obvious choice sounds like he'd be a really freaking good head coach where a lot of the times the other obvious choices were not, (laughs) they just were like, whatever. Um, but it might not be a match. And because it's going to be, uh, this new administration's hiring process, it's got to have to be a match. They're not going to bring you a, a Tim Drevno to coach, uh, an air raid offensive line like that. And if, if Luke Fickle would be miserable being in Los Angeles and he'd be, you know, never left really the state of Ohio, they probably wouldn't bring him in. He'd have to convince them that he's comfortable getting out of his comfort zone and moving to L.A. and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Sean Snyder, you took a, you took a risk there, right? Uh, he, you know, he was in Manhattan, Kansas for, what, 30 years or something? I mean, a long time. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, his kids were grown, and it, was, it seemed like the good time for him to, you know, when we talked to him, it seemed like yeah, it was cool. Like, I'm going to come to L.A. It's, it's warm. And it seemed like a, a right time for him. So you found a really good special teams coach. And even though he's in a small town in the Midwest forever, this was the right time for him to move and, and come to L.A. Would it be the right time for Luke Fickle? I, you know, don't know.
2: Yeah. I think the main bullet point that USC fans should take away from the fact that Luke Fickle is successful at Cincinnati, I think it proves to a certain extent that their hiring process Uh, at least their strategy to do so, is successful to a certain extent. And so they will likely apply that same strategy if USC has an opening. And that's something that is completely different from what we've seen from USC in the past. So that should at least be encouraging for USC fans.
1: It should, yeah.
2: (laughs) We have an email from Earl in West LA who said, Ryan and Keeley, apologies for being AWOL for the last year, but since spring ball shut down, there's been nothing to get excited about. Not that there has been plenty of excitement around USC. It has only been the kind that raises your blood pressure. I'm writing now because uh, preserving our relationship is more important than waiting for USC to do the right thing. Before I go any further, let me say I really miss Dan and hope he's doing well. The podcast is just as good, but it's not quite the same without him. Uh, Far be it from me uh, to be cynical now that I've accepted a five-win clay as our head coach. Who knows? Perhaps with acceptance, change will come. What is the big deal about the Robert Steiner hire? I thought Aaron Osmus was supposed to be the strength and conditioning guru. Isn't this and the other coaching changes, just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic Earl in West LA.
1: We're probably have to retire that. I mean, it's a great one. Um, I think I was telling a friend of mine that like, uh, and she wasn't familiar with the, with the saying. And so when you say like a cool saying like that, that you've heard a million times and no one's ever heard, they're like, that's brilliant. Like, but now it's getting overused, uh, probably. <laughs> yeah,
2: a little bit, a little bit,
1: right. <laughs> uh, I don't think we've ever said Aaron Osmus was the strength and conditioning guru. We've tried to talk to him. We tell you we don't we are not strength and conditioning gurus. Um, yeah. <laughs> we could tell you some concern. Like to me, when I looked at Aaron Osmus, I had some concerns just because he hadn't worked in college for a while. Um, you know, he was a familiar face, it was familiar with USC. But I really enjoyed talking to him. I liked trying to yeah. pick his brain about what his philosophies were. We got to hear from him when the pandemic hit and you had to, um, you know, kind of change your workout routine. And he's definitely someone that's like, you know, eating uh, thick lifted, heavy eat steaks and lift a whole, huge amount of weights. Is that the best thing for football? I don't know. I thought that was like, well, there could be some concerns there that maybe that's, you know, eating steaks all the time and and lifting as much weight as you possibly can. Does that make you the best football player? Like that was a concern I had, but I'm no expert that could say, yeah, that's the wrong thing to do. I also brought up a concern when we talked to him about the pandemic and working out, I would, I, you know, my personal workouts that I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of like body weight stuff when class, like on these classes and in, in, in a gym, but also on zoom and we'll do some dumbbells and stuff, but it's, it's interesting because you get to do a lot of body weight stuff. There's burpees, there's pushups, whatever you want to do. Um, and when I brought that up to Aaron Osmus, he was sort of like, uh, we're not doing that. Go out and push your car. Um, so like literally that's what he said. So it was sort of like, okay, I mean, you can do pull-ups on a tree branch or whatever you want to do, which is great. But I, I felt like not everyone was on Monterey St. Brown and had this huge workout facility in your house. That some of these players are going to need to do a lot of body weight stuff instead of pushing a Volkswagen. Like they're going to, you know, do it a bunch of burpees or push up, whatever you're going to do these, you know, lunges and squats and, you know, air squats, not putting 500 pounds on your back and doing a squat uh, and doing a different way. And it just seemed like he was sort of pushing back on that. And I, you know, again, no expert, but that was sort of some of the concerns I had. But I, Earl, I don't think we ever came out and said, He's going to be the greatest strength coach ever. We just didn't know. All we knew was he hadn't worked in college for five years, um, but we got to talk to him. He, he was generous with his time, came into the studio, and I thought that was great just to kind of pick his brain and, and get his thoughts. So just so all of you could hear what he had to say because all these coaches have different phlo- – strength coaches have different philosophies, right? He had you know some different ones that one we've heard in the past. Um, apparently, you know, Clay Helton and the administration felt like they wanted to go in another direction. Um, but again, this was a problem that they quote unquote fixed two years ago. And now two years later, you're fixing it again. But that's kind of what I know, you know, and what I think about, you know, Aaron Osmus and then, you know, coming into this, uh, new era with Robert Steiner.
2: Yeah, I was a little surprised by Aaron Osmus and then it, it got more clear once, um, you know, we learned that his contract was up and they just decided to go in a different direction. And then I tried to ask more about it. And the sense I got was that, you know, There was some concern from USC players that they didn't feel like they were being trained uh, for the next level. They just didn't feel like they were getting uh, trained to that sense. And and I also heard some like discipline issues in the sense that you need your strength and conditioning staff to really enforce discipline and a mindset in the team, especially when you have kind of a a player friendly head coach in Clay Helton, and that wasn't really getting it done from that area with Aaron Otsman's staff so I think that's kind of why we saw what we saw so I don't know like I said like you said Ryan I'm not a strength and conditioning guru and I wasn't out there working with them so I can only really speak to what I've heard from sources but that's kind of the the post-mortem I got Um, but as far as Robert Steiner it's an intriguing hire for me Ryan just because I I since I broke the story I was talking to sources about it a little bit and trying to do as much research as I could because I needed to to write about him and just watching kind of the workouts he did at Cincinnati and, and then reading about where he came from, Notre Dame, and their strength and conditioning program, they've really transformed Notre Dame in that sense. And, and they've been largely credited with uh, the quote-unquote Notre Dame rebuild that we talk about all the time. But uh, So Robert Steiner came from that staff. Uh, it is a little bit of a risk to get someone who hasn't been a head strength and conditioning coach at a program like USC before. So that is a risk. But he comes from a good tree of strength and conditioning coaches, and it seems like he knows how to make people throw up and, and be prepared for a game. So it's a risk. It's intriguing, but it's uh, something that USC will have to see if it pans out. So that's kind of the skinny on Robert Steiner.
1: I agree with you there. I thought that was my initial thought, um, the risk of he's not been a head strength coach before. And that's sort of been, you know, optically, again, that's something USC's done. They've found people that they've promoted – but they haven't had the sort of resume behind them to get that promotion. Like, are you, you know, if you're Lincoln Riley and you get promoted at Oklahoma, it's because you were one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, not because, well, you're there already, right? If Lincoln Riley wasn't that good of an offensive coordinator, he wouldn't have taken over for Bob Stoops. Um, USC sort of promoted people that don't necessarily didn't necessarily have great resumes of what they were even doing before. So this is a case where, everything I heard about him is they love the players love him. He was great. And so it makes sense to like, okay, this is a guy you could see promoting and giving him a shot. But again, it's still optically USC fans have seen this before. They've seen promote the assistant. He wasn't that good to begin with. And now, uh, now you're stuck with him as the head guy. Um, uh, but he's actually been a really good assistant. So it, it does make sense. You, you dig in, you know, you peel the layers of the onion away and it makes sense where, but it, On the surface, though, it still looks like some of the, you know, it kind of looked like one of the old USC hires that obviously fans weren't real happy with.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I think when you peel back that onion, it does seem like he's coming from a good uh, place of experience. So I think that's what USC is banking on. Whether or not that will translate is TBD. But, I mean, if you look at the tweets that came out from Notre Dame people when it was announced that he was hired – they were pretty sad about him, and now that could be anything. But it seemed like people really enjoyed him at Notre Dame and that he did a good job. So uh, we will see how that one pans out.
1: Yep. What else we got, Keely?
2: We have an email from someone. I Oh, it's from Jeff from Salt Lake, who has multiple questions. So I'll go down uh, one by one for you, Ryan. He says, hi, Ryan and Keely. Uh, Pete Thamel recently tweeted that a veteran college, college coach predicts more college coaches will go to the NFL to avoid changes is coming with NIL and transfer rules. First off, what do you think this is true?" he says.
1: Well, uh like talking to coach Harvey Hyde, he definitely is not a huge fan of this stuff. Um from the reports I've read about Urban Meyer, he wasn't a big fan of it. But there's other coaches that fully support it, and I think, you know, we've seen USC support it knowing that if they were in Tuscaloosa and like not winning, it you know, you're in Tuscaloosa, you're winning championships. Like you can use it, but if you were in a place that's not, you know, great, if you're in Manhattan, Kansas and you're not winning, it's probably going to be tougher to sell, you know, NIL stuff to some of these players and some of the high profile players. But even if you're kind of going mediocre and you're in Los Angeles, that's something you could always sell. So I feel like it depends which market you're in. Um, I think. You know, if Urban Meyer was still at Ohio State, they could market, you know, Columbus and, and all the surrounding areas and be fine with it. They're still a big national brand, but he didn't, you know, didn't apparently care for it. And I'm sure there's going to be some other coaches to do, but you can't just like, well, I'm, I'm the, the coach at, let's say, Texas State. I'm the head coach at Texas State. I don't really like this NIL rule, so I'm going to go to the NFL. Like, that doesn't work that way. You, you have to be an elite coach to be able to, you know, get that consideration and stuff. Um, So I don't think there's going to be some kind of huge trend, but there's going to be some coaches that aren't huge fans of this. I'm sure.
2: And I think that just goes to the fact that college uh, coaching is much, takes much more effort and is a little bit more tedious in the sense that you're always recruiting and you're always doing something. Whereas in the NFL, you have a little bit more break in that sense. So I think if the more you have to invest in, you know, tracking down those players, those high school players, it might push those coaches who weren't really a fan of that to begin with to then go to the NFL. Um, but uh, the second question he said was, uh, how will the most successful coaches, Saban, uh, Jimbo, Dabo, all of whom are accustomed accustomed to total control, how will they adapt their styles to succeed with these new rules?
1: Um, so adapting is part of – being a great coach. And we've seen guys like Nick Saban go from, you know, winning it, you know, whatever was it? Nine to three or something like, a, you know, like a, uh, to like just outscoring everybody and you, you have to be able to adapt. And the good thing is they do have total control and they can control things where Nick Saban switched from, we're going to like run the football and play defense to man, we're putting all we can into like trying to stop Deshaun Watson and it's like nearly impossible. So why don't we just go out and score a whole bunch of points too. And, and, you know, we'll try to play defense, but we're going to combat it that way by being as good and dynamic offensively as they are. I think those are great coaches that can do that. Um, as far I, so I think you can adapt to things like that. You can also adapt to what's working for your market. I think, um, you know, it's going to be different if you're talking about you know Clemson South Carolina versus Tuscaloosa Alabama what you, what can you do but when you're winning at that level you're so high profile already i think the NIL stuff will work out it's going to be um, you know if it's a place like i don't know say the university of washington you're in a big city you're in seattle you haven't won as much lately how does jimmy lake uh, adapt to that to make it work best for his program. It might be a little easier at Oregon, just because they're you know they've gone you know won the Rose Bowl you know two years ago. They've won the Pac-12 two years in a row. Those are things I think you can sell and and kind of incorporate into that. Um, it's going to be different at other places, but the highly successful coaches. The good thing is you're already winning, and that's going to give yourself a, a leg up as far as the NIL stuff goes. If you're Oregon state, you have to come, you know, come in a different approach, but you can still make it work to your favorite. You just have to figure out what works best. USC, you know, did the Boulevard studios and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it seems to have been resonating with the player. So even though USC has been mediocre on the football field was down in recruiting, they still figured out a way to use it. And it's a, you know, it's a blue blood program. So it's going to be a little bit easier than figure out something completely brand new. But I don't think, you know, Jimbo Fisher or, uh, you know, Ryan Day at Ohio State, I think they're going to figure out ways to make it work best for their program. And it's it's not going to be one size fit all. Just like it's not one size fit all when you're, you're recruiting. You know, if you're recruiting to Ohio State, it's different than recruiting at USC. It's different than recruiting at Alabama. It's different than recruiting at Texas. And I think the, how you use the, the NIL and the transfer rules are going to be very similar. You, you have to tailor it to your strengths and weaknesses.
2: Yeah, and just to tack on to that, Ryan, I think it's also going to be like what we saw with the the introduction of the early signing period. I think a lot of people that first year didn't fully expect it to be what it was. And then a lot of college programs had to adapt to it kind of being the signing day. And so the fact that we kind of saw a trial run and then coaches and players and, and the, the programs itself adapt to that i think you're going to see the same thing where at first people are going to be like kind of winging it and then get a better sense of okay this is what we need to do for nil this is what we need to do if if players can transfer immediately stuff like that so i, th- I think it's going to be one of those things that you have to kind of see it and then you'll see how people apply it to their their program um and then uh, jeff real had quick one...
1: uh, to be fair most yeah. schools seem to figure out that the early signing period <laughs> was going to be the default <laughs> signing period usc just wasn't yeah. one of those schools <laughs>
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I didn't fully remember. I think that was 2017. Right, Ryan?
1: I think so. We, we, I mean, I think us in the media, like most of us thought like, okay, those some players will sign. And then all of a sudden, like 80% of the players sign. And you're like, what? And I mean, yeah. yeah, USC was left sort of holding the bag that year because they did not recruit like it was the signing period, you know, Yeah. yeah. Uh, where a lot of programs did. They tried to sign everybody early and you're like, wow, that was good you know, so there was a a year. Yeah. They, they definitely thought more ahead of this than than what the Trojans did at the time.
2: Sure. Well, I guess in that sense, you'll see some programs not fully get it, not fully understand, and then understand once they see other programs modeling it. So who knows? I'm really curious to see how that goes. Um, But we have one last question from Jeff. And he says, if you were an AD looking to hire a coach with these changes in mind, how might you be looking at candidates differently than you would have in the past? Best Jeff from Salt Lake.
1: Thanks, Jeff good questions I mean I think it's got to be part of the interview process do you, you know do you hear much about that Keeley like do you, you know if you've ever had a job you interview like I've interviewed for jobs I've interviewed people you you want to talk to people about okay well what do you do well what do you you know not just like well this seems like would be a good fit let's hire that guy um, you want to interview people so you interview a coach if you're you're interviewing Luke fickle for the job and he goes uh, you know, NIL just seems like it's going to be a passing fad. I don't think we should even embrace it at all. I, it's cute that you did that Boulevard Studio thing, but uh, I, I think I'm going to scrap it. That's probably not going to go well, right? Like, that's probably not <laughs> going to be a good interview. So I yeah. think you you have to listen to what these coaches are saying. They're going to have their own He might have some better ideas. Like, hey, I think that's great what you're doing, but I also thought we'd do this. We did this at Cincinnati and sort of under the radar. I think in Los Angeles, this would really work. Like, then you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I think you have to make it part of your interview process if you do get to interview anyone uh, and see what their philosophies are. It's one of those things where if, if they don't like it, they don't embrace it, and you're trying to force it on them, I don't think that's going to be something that wouldn't make the hire a good fit.
2: Yeah, that's going to hurt you in the long run if you don't have a guy that's willing to work in that sense. I, I would search more for a Dante Williams, if that makes sense, where he's – he really understands what it's like, this, this modern era of recruiting, and he kind of understands uh, what players, high school players, are, are like and what they're thinking. You need someone like that. Um, so that would be what I would want to look for in a, in a head coach, but also just flexibility. Like you just listed out, Ryan, you have to be able to adapt, whether it's what's coming in the recruiting landscape or what's happening with certain schemes as, as the season progresses. So I think just adaptability, flexibility, and just – Uh, understanding that recruiting is a full-time job if you're going to be a college coach in that sense.
1: All right. What else we got?
2: We have a question from our buddy, uh, Dan, class of 1962. uh, And he is fired up. He says, hi, Keely and Ryan. What is USC doing to get the College Football Hall of Fame to change the ridiculous 10-year college head coaching requirement for induction so that Pete Carroll is eligible? Why in the world would a lousy coach with 30 years of coaching to get uh, get into the hall of fame but a coach with 9 years of experience with two national championships and almost a third plus being the best coach of the first decade of the 21st century not be eligible USC USC should be mounting a campaign to change this stupid requirement longevity being weighted more than achievement is the antithesis of a hall of fame requirement can the podcast mount a ca- campaign for coach Pete fight on and win Dan class of 1962
1: Hey Dan thanks uh no the podcast cannot mount a campaign because that's not what we do um and I didn't even know about this. I think I was listening to the Rain of Troy podcast and they talked about this. I didn't know that you needed 10 years and Pete Carroll only had nine. And I, I think, you know, people that really care about this stuff will try to get this fixed. Um, it's just not something that's going to keep me up at night. I mean, it's, yeah, he should be a college football Hall of Fame coach. Is it a dumb, like kind of arbitrary rule? It just, yeah, it seems stupid. Um, but I don't think this is something. there's plenty of other things to kind of get on right now i personally maybe keely wants to jump on this and like and spend a lot of time trying to figure this all out but that's not really uh (laughs) i yeah i think it should be in there but this i'm not the right person to uh to help you with this cause dan sorry
2: if you're not the right person then i certainly am not the right person Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) i'll leave my answer at that um we have one more question and it's from our buddy steve and poway who says dear ryan and keely i was just thinking about joe biden's first 100 days this week if his administration is ac- actually successful in vaccinating a hundred million people and we do get back to some semblance of quote unquote normal by early summer, what are you most looking forward to in covering USC football?
1: Ah, um, yeah, I mean, I just want to get back to normal anyway. Um, I'm a very <laughs> social person. There are some people that are like, you know, physical distancing. I'm cool with that. Like I don't want to leave the house. Well, that's not me. Um, but do I, what I miss is, first of all, Missing California high school football has been tough. I love doing that. Um, You know, checking out games, checking out these players. Uh, I believe it just came out, Keely, that they're not going to have any spring championships, right, for the fall. Um, So I'm seeing campaigns on social media for let them play in California and all this stuff. Um, People are really upset. And I get it. I mean, I would would be upset. My parent, you know, kids wants to play and all that stuff. Cause I think it can be healthy, um, for the players. And I think it's, there's mental health aspects that, you know, maybe you're not taking into consideration by not allowing these kids to play. Um, so I would love to go to high school games again. I'd love to go to college practices. Cause we learn so much just by watching what's going on. Yeah. Some of the questions that you guys ask us about the offensive line or something like, well, we really get to see those guys. So it's just, it's hard to say. Uh, how does you know, Sean Snyder run special teams in practice? Well, we don't know. They always know what they tell us. Those things are great. Um, you know, we got to cover games in person, but we didn't get to talk to players individually afterwards. That's always a great way to get some insight and information. Uh, if you're on a Zoom call that everyone's on, you just can't really get much out of that. So, I mean, I, I miss all of it. Like, I want to get back to doing what we were doing before, but I don't know what, what you think, Keely.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. The first thing that came to my mind was fans. I think college football without fans is just, it's too clinical. I don't know. It felt too much like a practice at times. And so that was a little definitely weird for me. I think what you hit on, Ryan, is I really like being able to see things for my own at practice. And that way I don't have to really rely on the, you know, (laughs) you know, the Clay Hilton, Pallier, Naotote never looked better and then he's in the portal. Like that is something we could have probably had a, a better sense of if we were seeing practice and seeing how things kind of played out in that sense and like you mentioned it's it's really kind of sterile to do interviews when you're on a computer with someone else it's if you're in a scrum and you're in person you can kind of get away with asking maybe a more critical question in the way that your body language is or like if you're walking off with a player you can get some more one-on-one info it's just it was a really like surgical way of doing our job this year and to be able to see things and talk to guys kind of more low-key definitely helps being able to portray things more accurately, in my mind, because you just get a, a wider range of opinions and views from from all team uh, personnel. So for me, I think that would be nice just to get back to the normal way of doing things and covering games from the sideline was really fun. That's a real an aspect I love about my my job. So being able to do that would be fun too. So all of it, Ryan, but especially the things I mentioned.
1: And that the st- you know having a sterile environment. It's funny, I have a buddy that works for the Lakers and he's in there. You know, he's one of the few people that's in Staple Center, right. And they lost to Golden State the other night. They had like a 19 point lead. And he told me this before, but he was just like the energy was so blah and it just seemed like you know, LeBron wasn't himself. And they just it I think the bubble worked, but it took a lot yeah. out of these players, right? I mean, it just mm-hmm. that was sort of like this environment you could kind of work with if you had to. But now you're doing it again. They're getting games canceled. It just seems like it's not quite the same. And um, I feel like if you have another, like, oh, cancel spring practice or fall camps, like, you know, Zoom calls and all this crap, I think if you're to do that again and you go into the season in 2021 and there's no fans again, I think it's going to have more of an impact because it was like one year. You're like, okay, we're, we're doing this one sacrifice, but you got to do it again. I feel like it could make things a lot worse if, if that makes sense.
2: No. Yeah. That's a great point. I think, I think there's like a newness that happened last year and there was still like a, Oh, we're actually being able to play football and okay, let's do this. Whereas if you come into another year, you know exactly what you have to do. You have to know how uh, clinical all the procedures are and how much you have to spread out and just not being in the same locker room with guys. It was just exhausting. I I gathered from that process. So to know what you're in for, I think is just going to be daunting and, and I think it's just going to be kind of blah or like blah <laughs> in that sense. I can't figure out the right word, but I, I think you're right, Ryan. I think it's going to be, it's just, and think about how many comeback wins USC had in 2020 with no fans and attendance. Like that's just, it's such a different outcome if you. If you have the, the Coliseum super excited by that Drake London catch or any of the other ones we saw. So hopefully we see fans. Hopefully we're back to that place because I think college football is definitely one that needs fans and that type of atmosphere.
1: They definitely do. And it's going to be a longer schedule. Um, you know, some of those sort of miracle wins probably wouldn't all be happening if you're playing all 12 games. <laughs> yeah. Do you keep up? Yep. Is it, USC was winning. So is it easier to keep your energy up when you're undefeated? Um, you know, outside of the pandemic year, there's been no USC team that's under Clay Helton that's, uh, you know, lost less than three games, right? what does that do to the psyche? Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors. So I think getting this back to normal as close to normal as you can, I think it's important for, you know, we'll, we'll be excited to be able to cover stuff again, but, um, I think it's important for the players and stuff too. Uh, it's yeah. cause it's, I think it's gonna be tough to keep that level up again. If you're asked to do all the daily testing and staying away from your families and all that kind of stuff, if that really does happen, mm-hmm. um, man, I, I don't know. I mean, because I know, I mean, with the Lakers, like, they're getting tested every day. Even if they're not going to the facility, like, they still have to go <laughs> get tested. Like, it's a, they're, you know, the, the NBA is trying to deal with this non-bubble world. And it, they're having the same problems all the other leagues did, right? And, um, yeah. That weren't, you know, in the bubble, it definitely worked. But now you're doing stuff outside the bubble. And they are, you know, guys, quarantining guys. And all, all this stuff that you really didn't have to deal with much before. You just had to, like, kind of fix a couple of knuckleheads. <laughs> but for the most part, everything worked. And now it's like, I think this is taking a toll on on guys again. So it, it's going to be a big ask. So you, we really got to hope that things get to a little bit more normal. And uh, we have somewhat of a normal college football season in 2021.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Shaka mentioned this on the Family Feud podcast, but uh, one of the things that USC didn't hear this year was booze. You know what? What in one of the comeback games with USC would have heard booze? How would have that affected the team's psyche? But also just admin people—if they're not hearing uh, really angry fans, does that impact their mindset at all? I don't know. We'll never really know that, but I, I can guarantee you that a whole Coliseum booing and not being happy with the product that they're seeing is definitely different than an empty, quiet stadium. So it's just interesting how all these things play into it. And obviously if you have an empty stadium, that means that there's bigger issues like a pandemic. So I understand that, but just interesting how all these variables play into everything, you know?
1: Very, very much so because yeah, it's, uh, it's different. And if there are fans in the stands and you're like hanging out in the suites and, they're, you know, eating caviar and uh, wine and cheese and stuff. And they don't really care that USC's not beating out, you know, uh, Arizona by much. You know, that's the perspective you're going to get. But you're out in the, the actual crowd and the majority of them are really upset that USC can't run the ball again. I think that's something that has an impact on you and not having that. It's different when you're getting on social media or you're reading on the parasail it's different when it's actually, these are people in the stadium. Cause a lot of the times it's like season ticket holders that don't necessarily live or die by every practice report and which recruit USC signs The people in the pair style. And a lot of people listening to these shows, like these, there are a lot of them are diehard people, right? They know everything that's going on. <laughs> they hear yeah. the, the criticisms where sometimes the season ticket holders are like, I go to the games seven times a year and um, you know, that's what I do. But when those fans are even turning and booing and like, Hey, we need to get a new head coach. I think that has more of an impact. You still really get to hear their voice now because you're not having them at games.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that'll be something to watch for. Does that impact, uh, anything going forward? We'll see, but it's definitely different when you hear a silent call to you.
1: <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. All right. Well, good show, Keeley. Um, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the uh, Peristyle podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back uh, Sunday night. Shotgun should return again for our Tunnel Vision show. You guys just published, Gail, you just published a Family Feud podcast we already? Did.
2: Yeah. Okay, we did, so a We might have another one. We might have a quick take to reacting to the news because now everything's kind of set. So TBD on that, not sure. We're trying to figure out our schedule.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. We'll, we'll you know, watch for that one. but. They, yeah, they snuck a family feud earlier in the week there. So if you got a little special bonus <laughs> on the podcast uh, app there, so, but thanks again, uh, please go to, if you haven't done it for a, a while, go to Apple podcasting app and leave us a five-star review. We really would appreciate that. We'll definitely read it up at the top of the show, but for Keely, your I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parasite podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Hey,
3: I'm Brett Podolsky
7: One guy that was set to to play in in these All-American Bowls and and the the All-Star events is John Davis. He's one of the top unsigned prospects heading into the traditional signing day next month. He's in the top 50, according to the composite for the 2021 class, a former commit to LSU and a a big time linebacker from modern day High School, one of the powerhouses here in the state of California. What's the latest on Rayon Davis, Greg?
0: Yeah, so top five. Which I, I mean, I think the only new school in there was was Vanderbilt. I wanted to be able to say the the Barton Simmons impact already having already creating all, all kinds of buzz. But unfortunately, it wasn't Barton. It was in a different assistant coach. Javon Hayes is the guy who's the lead recruiter there. But I still think it's gonna. It's kind of cool. I'm gonna give Brett Barton the credit anyway, but. No, like a week ago, I I wrote like a top four story. He's going to announce on signing day, but the the main four, uh, LSU, where he was previously committed, Ohio State, Oregon, and then USC. And I guess you can add Vanderbilt as well. And, you know, he's never been to Ohio State, never been to Bandy, So it's hard for me to kind of, you know, give those two schools uh, a real shot. I always thought Ohio State; if they can get a, they can just get a visit. Get his family out there. The parents want to come. They'd have a realistic shot. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. And time's kind of running out. He has visited, visited Oregon. Loves Oregon. Loves the staff. Jalen Davies, one of his best friends, is a current Oregon signee. So I think Oregon uh, does have a, a chance. But uh, my crystal ball is currently with USC. I think they've kind of just. Done a really good job recruiting him over the course of the year. They they never stopped. You know, even though he committed last January to LSU, they they never stopped. They kept going after him with multiple coaches. He's you know very close with the whole entire staff. Uh, whether it be you know Dante Williams, Clay Helton, Coach Orlando, Michael Hutchins, they're all after him. He's close with a lot of the guys in the twenty one class. Corey Foreman just recently signed there. Those two have talked about wanting to play together for most of the year. And so I, I think right now USC is probably the team to beat. And uh, he will make a Sunday day decision. Hopefully. If we do, um, he's opened up potentially announcing with us if we do another CBS signing Day show like we did in, in, in December. But uh, that is the story right now with Mr. Rajon Davis, Blair.
7: Okay, so keep your eyes peeled not only on this platform but across social media on 24-7 Sports. And- on 247sports.com to figure out if, if Rajon will actually announce uh, with 247 Sports and CBS Sports HQ. Now, you mentioned USC there, and, and obviously Corey Foreman was a big pillar that fell on, and, and that's one of those foundation, one of those building blocks that we've discussed in the past where USC needs to get back to dominating the line of scrimmage if they hope, to make a charge at the college football playoff, we know that they're going to be set at quarterback. We know that they're going to have big time receivers every year. Uh, obviously the defensive backs, and there's one that we're going to talk about in a little bit in Damani Jackson, who's one of the the stars of the 2022 class. They're always going to stack up at the skill positions. Now Rajon is, I think a prototypical inside linebacker. I like his athleticism. I think he can do some stuff in the boundary. He can do some stuff in the flat, but I, I, I think his, highest upside is in the box and in that near near that line of scrimmage where he can attack gaps and fill holes and and stop the run game how big would that be for the trojans to be able to not only add him but you know bring him along with a Corey foreman and and kind of continue to build on those levels
0: i think i think it's really big for me he's the most complete linebacker in, in california and, and was last year i actually said that during a modern day broadcast people were looking at me like justin flow justin flow and I, I love justin flow um but in In terms of complete, you know, you can kind of poo-poo seven on seven all you want. But one thing about seven on seven is you get a chance to see these guys in space and watch them cover. And, and I've literally seen Rajon cover receivers down the field and make interceptions and, and you know, pass breakups without holding and grabbing and looking like a corner. Now, he's not a corner, but he. I'm saying, man, he actually has excellent cover skills for a linebacker. That's why, although he's got more of an inside linebacker frame, he's only about one, about 205, 210. Those guys usually kind of play more inside. Uh, outside guys now, you, you're kind of more the long lengthy you know edge rushers but I, I actually can see Rajon as a weak side guy who can just run around and, and just make plays in space very physical tackler he's got some pass rush ability but again that frame wise you, you don't see too many guys that are six one and 210 215 rushing the passer but I, I you do see guys like him covering running backs covering tight ends uh, again playing in space running down guys from behind being a really physical and tough in the run game. That's kind of where I see him. But again, he's got versatility. You know, he can almost play a, a hybrid type role. You know, kind of how they used Talano Hufanga. I want to say, was it the Oregon game or one of those last games of the year? They kind of used him as a linebacker and just saying, you know, the guy is such a good football player. You want to get him close to the line of scrimmage. And I think with Rajon, you know, the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, he can run around and make plays. But again, for me, like I said, what separates him and he is really, really good in coverage.
7: Yeah. Talano Hufanga had, I think, nearly 20 tackles in the game against UCLA at the Rose Bowl. So uh, and he's headed to the NFL and, and they need to fill some of these spots along that defense. So that would be big for USC. Another player that's definitely on the radar for USC and, and USC fans and a national recruit at that is Damani Jackson, a, a teammate of Ray John Davis at modern day. Another uh, highly regarded prospect that has garnered offers from all corners of the country and is is, is closing in on making his decision. He's set to announce on January 23rd, which is this coming Saturday. And right now, the Trojans continue to trend in the crystal ball.
0: Yeah, I think speaking of anniversaries, I want to say it's his parents, maybe 20 something. That's why he chose that date, January 23rd.
7: I was like, I I like that. I like that. You know, there are some kids that, that like to point out certain days, you know, we always get mom's birthday, right? That's a big one. Um, You know, dad's birthday or grandma's anniversary or, or, you know, something like that, you know, their own birthdays. That's a little narcissistic. And I, (laughs) I kind of like it too, because they, they like to blow out the candles, not only on, you know, their birthday, but their recruitment and, and that's, that's fun. Um, But parents anniversary. I like that one too. No.
0: Randy and Melanie Jackson, really, really cool, awesome couple. High school sweethearts, Domani said. He's like, can you believe that? I, I can't even imagine, you know, dating a girl right now and marrying her, like, in high school. Like, who does that anymore? And I was like, shoot, man, I I didn't I didn't do that, but God bless them. Yeah, that's why he chose that date, parents' anniversary. And, you know, his, his recruitment's been kind of all over the place. You know, there was – and I think a lot of it is because he loves to have fun, man. He loves to kind of mess around, and, and he loves to stir things up a little bit in, in a good way. Nothing malicious about him, but – You know, remember for a while there, there was all kinds of buzz about Ohio State. And I I think some crystal balls went in for Ohio State. Then a few weeks later, he took an unofficial visit to Michigan. And and I was getting calls from people saying, Domani Jackson might come in today. Like, get a story ready to go. And I was like, I I don't think so, dude. I I don't think it's going to happen. Now, you know, he's got a lot of strong Midwest ties. Pretty much his whole entire family on on his mom and dad's side are all Ohio State fans, except for his dad, who's a diehard Michigan fan. But he's from, they're all from Ohio. So I thought, you know what, maybe he will head to the Midwest. But, you know, over the course of the last few months, I think USC and also probably Arizona State have kind of gained some ground. But, uh, you know, he is close with Damani Jackson and, or excuse me, he is Damani Jackson. He's close with Corey Foreman. They both work out together over at Winter Circle. And at this point, I'd be a little surprised if it wasn't SC. Again, I. Dante Williams, been the lead guy there, done a great job. And, you know, he's close with, you know, not just him, but the whole entire staff. And I think even though he's not an original SoCal guy, I think he does kind of have some SoCal roots and staying close to home and kind of helping to, to build USC back up. I think that's something that he's kind of intrigued by.
3: You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.